Clearing Up is the premier source of independent news and information for the Pacific Northwest electric and natural gas industries. Published weekly by Newsdata since 1982, Clearing Up focuses on energy policy, resources, markets, infrastructure, and other key relevant subjects. Many thousands of energy professionals depend on Clearing Up to help them better understand and navigate their ever-dynamic energy world. Visit newsdata.com to find out why and start your subscription today. Again, that's newsdata, one word, dot com. Welcome to Newsdata's Energy West, a podcast about the energy industry today and where it's going tomorrow. Hello, I'm Dan Catchpole, reporter with Newsdata's Clearing Up, and with me is my co-host and the editor of Newsdata's California Energy Markets, Jason Fordney. We're here with some of our top stories from uh, recent days. Jason, how are you doing today? Doing great, Dan. Looking forward to maybe a calmer week this week compared with the last week when we were pretty much hammered with uh, bomb cyclones and atmospheric rivers and hundreds of thousands of outages, as we reported in Friday's edition. So, yeah, pretty yeah. crazy week. And then they're calling for a foot of snow where I live tomorrow, even though it's spring. So yeah, you guys are very, just having yeah. very dramatic, somewhat schizophrenic, yes, somewhat violent uh, <laughs> weather these days. It's yeah, it's like um, yeah, it's like a movie or something. But um, yeah, and you know, spring has apparently sprung, but it doesn't feel very springy up on the mountain. But we're at I think all time record snowpack right now, oh. and a very interesting winter. It's been a little we tough. We should start but... an office pool for snowpack. Yeah. We'll have to remember that for next year. Like, Yeah. Weather will break the record again. Yeah. But they seem to kind of go in cycles. Well, or just like, you know, have be like, who's like, pick what percentage snowpack is going to be above or below normal. And whoever gets closest <laughs> to the right answer wins the pool. Keep it and simple. It, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I'm in. Yeah. I feel like I got some direct experience with this. <laughs> yeah. Well, so what's going on? I don't know what to tell you. It's sunny and in the fifties up here in Seattle. So spring you know is lovely here. Flowers are starting to bloom. Blue yeah. sky. You know, when Seattle is nicer than where you live, that it got a little rough. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. I'm sure you'll get your son too at some point, but we get a little bit here and there. We actually, it was a, a sunny, but cool weekend where I spent several hours on the playground. I get cold. My daughter doesn't get cold. She seems to be impervious to cold. I don't know what, what's going on. Yeah, yeah. I remember those <laughs> days as a child. Well, so what, uh, what stories do you have for us this week? All right. Well, I want to get into the geothermal topic this week. I covered the new Lawrence Berkeley National Laboratory report on why geothermal development in the West is lagging behind. And then I've got an interesting story out of Nevada where they've approved some new NV uh, Energy gas peaking units. And uh, I took a look at the um, reasoning behind that and um, see some ironies happening there in terms of the Western weather uh, situation and um, so a lot of factors mixed in there, but that's my other item for this week. What would you? What do you have? 
So I've got a story about a Northwest Natural gas supplier in Oregon getting close to its hoping to hit its uh, goal for renewable natural gas. And uh, then legislators in some of the conservative states in the Northwest are trying to handcuff local municipalities from adopting their own energy policy. But first, uh, I want to talk about the new transmission line that Pacific Corps is working on. So they recently right. proposed, or not proposed, but uh, presented plans to the Sweetwater Board of County Commissioners in Wyoming for a new 500 kilovolt, 143 mile long transmission line through southern Wyoming with the aim to tap into uh, expected growth in the state's wind capabilities and you know, exporting energy from Wyoming wind. So mm -hmm. the the transmission project, uh, it's known as the Anticline to Shirley Basin Transmission Project, uh, but it's for shorthand being called Gateway D2.2, which I think we need a short shorthand for that shorthand. Yeah, uh, it so like it's a, a, like it's a Star a, Wars robot. It does. It really does. <laughs> so it would link into the larger Gateway West project that Pacific Core has been developing. Uh, or, you know, what, more than a decade now. This would be a new line, though, that they would hope would deliver up to 100, or I'm sorry, 1,100 megawatts of additional wind energy uh, in, into the system. They are hoping that they can get through engineering, design, permitting, and right-of-way work uh, by 2025, start construction in mid-2026, and get the line in service by the end of 2028. That's a pretty quick timeline, but you know, and they've already made uh, the huge sections of Gateway already online, and uh, they certainly uh, seem pretty confident that they can meet stick to that timeline. Good. Yeah, it's a fairly significant project here. I'm looking at the map, and I was recently through. Close to that part of Wyoming recently, beautiful country. I, I assume they're fairly infrastructure friendly in Wyoming these days. Yeah, you've um, not seen a lot of, at least in recent years, uh, that since I've been paying attention to it, uh, like a huge fights, uh, uh, a lot of opposition to the gateway construction in Wyoming. So one would think, yeah, you know, as opposed to the Idaho boarding or the Boardman to Hemingway line in Idaho and Oregon, which has just had to you know, battle through one legal uh, fight after another. Right. Yeah. It remains to be seen if, you know, whether they find some type of habitat or skeleton or toad or something along the route, but uh, this would be good for the Wyoming wind and uh, renewables in general. A lot of discussion about transmission for renewables these days, right? Just a bit. Yeah. We certainly, uh, we certainly need as much transmission as uh, we can build, basically, as fast as we can build it. The, the grid will need it to accommodate all the build-out and renewables and uh, increased demand from electrification and whatnot. So, oh, yes. I'm sure there are plenty of people who will be closely following this and wishing Pacific Core you know, uh, happy construction. Yep. Good to see. Well, so you've got uh, you had a column on geothermal and why it's lagging in the West. What's yeah, interesting. What's report going on? 
uh, Lawrence Berkeley National Laboratory has a new report on this, basically examining why geothermal has not been developed in the West. And as I said in the story, the answer can be found in dollar signs. Um, you know, I've written about geothermal for years and years, and there's always been recognition of the potential in the West for it. Um, but there's several, um, I guess, kind of um, factors here um, that relate to costs, higher resource risks, longer development timelines, higher financing costs for geothermal compared with other resources, say wind, solar, and storage. The needles barely moved on geothermal in the, the CAISO, California Independent System Operator Territory. Well, in the past 10 years, wind and solar increased by 20 percentage points. Only six states in the contiguous United States have a geothermal power plant, and that's California, Idaho, Nevada, New Mexico, Oregon, and Utah. And less than 0.5 gigawatts of new geothermal has come online in the past decade. That that was after a few gigawatts yeah. was built in the 1980s. Um, but yeah, there's apparently 3.7 gigawatts of geothermal in the Western US, although there's potential for 39 gigawatts, mm. and including 30 gigawatts of undiscovered. That's traditional geothermal and also enhanced geothermal, which is kind of similar to fracking where they inject water into the ground and it's heated by <clears throat> rocks and then uh, recovered, you know, through wells. Um, so, yeah, this, I think, explains a lot. Geothermal also has a high capacity factor, you know, which is the amount of energy produced during a certain period versus the highest possible output. It's not weather dependent. And then finally, the California Public Utilities Commission midterm reliability procurement order in 2021 boosted geothermal because it required procurement of at least one gigawatts of zero emission, high capacity factor, non-weather dependent resources. That's led to several new geothermal PPAs. I won't list them, but uh, they're California Ormat Technologies is one major developer in the so area. Jason, the did the report say about like what we can expect in terms of the the cost of geothermal? If if dollar signs are the have been the the major weight holding geothermal development down, uh, what's the yep. what's the future look like? Is uh, is the price curve on geothermal expected to decrease substantially in the future, especially with say that um, was it enhanced geothermal? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, the report recommends more policy intervention, which would be, you know, policy support, I guess, at the federal level and more investment in geothermal research and development, which would include that enhanced geothermal, which I imagine in turn would bring the cost down. Yeah, I know for advocates, at least proponents of enhanced geothermal there, one of the big um, pluses they say is that it decreases not only the cost, but it can also increase the uh, the sites that make it that make it commercially viable or that would be commercially viable. Yeah. Then further decrease the cost because of the better location reducing, you know, uh, I guess ancillary costs like transmission mm -hmm. and whatnot. Um, so I mean certainly geo enhanced geothermal proponents are yep. Very 
uh, optimistic about the future. It sounds like this report uh, isn't quite as glowing about enhanced geothermal. Not to say that it's negative about it, but it sounds like the report saying there's still a lot of work that needs to be done. Yeah, I think you know, as the technology increases, it will obviously open the amount of territory that geothermal can be developed in. So I think they're when it's kind of pointing the direction that at that but uh it was interesting to me that this you know the cost factors really the reason for the lack of development one last little tidbit i i learned you know california has the largest geothermal power plant complex in the world the geysers but i learned there's actually no geysers at the geysers it's it's a misnomer wait what yeah there's no geysers there i guess there's steam you know there's no water geysers at the geysers <laughs> which i said maybe it's sort of the name caught on and they just kept it and there's been power generation going on there since 1960 and it was used by native americans for 12,000 years before that well there you go folks yeah we learn everything something new every day in this job (laughs) yeah and speaking of learning new stuff you've got some observations on energy legislation in a couple states yeah, so two of the states that I cover, uh, Idaho and Montana, legislators in both states have this session in the current legislative sessions in their respective states have passed bills handcuffing the uh, ability of local governments, counties, municipalities mostly, uh, to enact their own energy policies. And these have been really specifically aimed at uh, kind of heading off any effort by cities to pass decarbonization policies, curtailing um, or you know, prohibiting hookups of new natural gas con- service connections, yep. or even limiting their ability to uh, pass higher energy efficiency standards for construction in their cities. We've seen a wave of that kind of local uh, policy adoption across the West in recent years. Right now, uh, there's a fight going on in Eugene, Oregon, that would ban a, a city council uh, move to ban uh, new natural gas connections in re- certain residential and commercial construction. Mm-hmm. So legislators in Montana and Idaho are both trying to get out ahead of these, these it's kind of local policymaking these are states that are both legislatures are very, very heavily controlled by Republican parties that state parties that have been that uh, very opposed to what they see as you know, progressive leftist uh, energy policies, things like higher energy efficiency standards, uh, decarbonization restrictions on new natural gas hookups uh, requiring certain amounts of renewable energy uh, production in portfolios. Those sort of policies uh, just have found really no traction and have found opposition among the, uh, from these uh, among the Republican party in Idaho and Montana. And we're seeing it play out these legislative sessions by, like I said, reacting to policies adopted by cities like Seattle Oregon, Eugene, Oregon, Berkeley, California, uh, and others. Yeah. Berkeley, of course, where this all began. But I think the further you get from Berkeley, the 
the more of a controversial topic it becomes. <laughs> I'm sure. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's like with uh, that's most of these places passed though, where they pass these uh, policies are fairly in support of them, right? So, like, it wasn't yeah. a controversial issue as much in Seattle when Seattle adopted uh, restrictions on natural gas connections in new construction. Yeah, yeah but that clearly is causing a backlash. Uh, from sure. legislators uh in idaho and montana so uh yeah I, i'll be curious yeah I'd, i'll have to go take a look to see if we're seeing other similar things uh pass in yeah actually you know what check that i'm sorry one of the things i say in my state or in my state in my story <laughs> is that uh one of the bills that was just signed into law so in idaho so this house bill 106 was signed into law uh, March 21st prohibits counties and cities from banning or restricting energy utility connections, including natural gas. It passed uh, both chambers of the state legislature on party line votes. It was very, very, uh, the language of the, the bill uh, really mirrored language used in legislation passed recently in Wyoming, Texas, Missouri, and Georgia. So this isn't just in the Northwest that we're seeing these states take these uh, stances. And this is more of a, yeah, it's such a simplistic thing, but we're seeing this, starting to see this in a lot of red states, or at least several red states. Yeah, not a surprise. You know, we had the controversy with the uh, CPSC chief making some comments to that regard. You know, it's, you have the EV issue, and th this is a, an emotional issue for people. people. They really like their gas stoves. You know, I, I, all through the power outages that we had here last or earlier this month, we were, you know, surviving on gas and um, some gas fireplaces can still work without electricity. And of course, gas stoves can still work and keep you keep you going through outages. So, yeah, I know some people that are pretty passionate about this and they're, you know, they're not Republicans, but they like their gas. No. stoves. Yeah, no, no, that, I mean, that's a fair point. I will say I was. I was figured we'd end up with a gas stove after uh, it became clear that you know, gas was going to be um, an issue in Seattle. We had to buy a stove. We ended up, we weren't going to redo our kitchen. We priced out gas and getting an induction. It was just made much more sense economically to get the induction. Mm -hmm. I have to say it's amazing. It's kind of like magic. I like yeah. how fast you can boil a pot of water. It it's, is. I have one. So, I'm a little very happy with it. Yeah. And gas, you know, I find it's hard to, if you just trying to simmer something or, or just low heat can be tough with gas or induction easier. I think. Yeah. Indeed. And they don't explode, which is the other nice thing about them. There's that. <laughs> not, that's not a small consideration. No. But speaking of gas, uh, you have a story out of Nevada about uh, gas peaker plants. Yes. Nice segue. Uh, Public Utilities Commission of Nevada. And if you come out west, don't say Nevada. It's Nevada. March 14th meeting approved Envy Energy's request to purchase two natural gas peaking units intended to reduce dependence on market resources during the peak. Um, so, yeah, this will be the Silverhawk peaking plant, uh, which is it'll go at an existing site where there's 520 megawatt um, natural gas fired power plant about 30 miles north of Las 
Vegas. And some kind of alarm being raised here from Envy Energy. Here's a quote. The West continues to experience energy shortfalls in Nevada is not immune. Nevada's historic reliance on the energy market to meet peak demand is no longer viable. And Envy Energy continues to focus on working towards increased energy independence. I looked in the reasoning for this. Um, they They cited drought. They cited climate change. They cited, uh, you know, the new wheel-through rules in Kaiso, and interesting, they cited natural gas retirements. So, because of gas retirements, we got to build some gas peakers. Yeah, there you and, go. Um, yeah, it's. Uh, I think there's some panic going on in that part of the country as California, um, you know, the hydro situation, although that has improved, and just the overall shortages around the West, which are becoming more and more um, apparent over the next few years. And these, as I said, these are summer peakers. So it looks like this gas will be getting constructed. Well, I mean, I certainly think it's, uh, it's hard to see how the system completely decarbonizes without gas as, uh, without using natural gas to get off coal. Yeah. I don't think any- we're not specifically talking about that here, but just writ large in terms of the West's, uh, the Western grid. Yeah, it's kind of a collision course because, you know, I read the NERC reports, I read the reliability reports, and there's no indication that gas is going anywhere anytime soon. At the same time, particularly in California, we, of course, have very um, well organized and um, uh, strong efforts to get rid of it and uh, kind of a collision course, but we're going to need gas for some time. Even the DOE secretary says this. And uh, here's an example. And uh, yeah, I don't think anybody's going to miss coal that much. Gas is a slightly different story. I think it's got what 60% of the carbon output of coal. But uh, that's reporting from Abigail Sawyer on that issue, that decision from the PUCN. Well, speaking of natural gas, up in Oregon, uh, Northwest Natural says that it is on track to meet Oregon's decarbonization goals for natural gas utilities to add renewable natural gas to its system. So they just issued uh, requests for proposals for adding renewable natural gas capacity to uh, their supply. And and this the uh, company spokeswoman says that this puts the company on track to meet its the state set 2024 goal of having 5% of annual sales consisting of renewable natural gas, which is supposed to be 10% or increased to 10% uh, in 2025 and 15% in 2030, getting all the way up to 30% by 2045. Hmm. Currently, Northwest Natural is at 3%, but they're looking for securing additional capacity to get them above that 5% threshold uh, by next year. And they say they will be on track then to hit those further targets. Good old RNG. You know, the environmental groups do not like RNG, but here we go. We will see. Yeah, I mean, this is, um, yeah, we'll see. It's 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 renewable. It's uh, It's better, but... Yeah, there's a reason that environmental groups don't like it is that it is still a 
carbon-based fuel. Uh, so, yeah, I, I would think. You know, I'm curious, what is the view for the boardroom, like in the boardroom, and at gas companies like this? Because I mean, I I have to think like it's still just you're buying time. Yeah. If we are going to decarbonize, if that is the way the market is going to go, as the way regulations are going to go, it's just buying time. So, is there? Sure. Are they, yeah, because uh, I don't think a really a complete replacing it with hydrogen is not a really feasible strategy just from the expenses of the pipeline construction that would have to happen and also just fuel production costs. Um, yeah. But uh, so uh, we'll see. Speaking In of hydrogen, meantime, one thing I yeah. forgot to mention is those NV Energy peakers are eventually planned to go to switch to hydrogen. Yeah, well, that is interesting. There yeah. you go. All right. Well, you heard it here first. When when that happens, we will have a story on it, <laughs> and you can find it at newsdata.com. Uh, for now, though, that's all from me, Dan Catchpole. Thank you for listening. Please rate and review this podcast on whatever platform you listen. Uh, Energy West is edited and produced by our colleagues at Pioneer Utility Resources and Lucky Sound Studios. You can find me on Twitter. I'm at ecatchpole. And Clearing Up is on Twitter at C-U, the letter C-U, C-U Newsdata. California Energy Markets is also on Twitter at C-E-M Newsdata. That's the letter C-E-M Newsdata. I'm on Twitter at Fordney Energy. Thanks for listening, everybody. We'll see you back here next week.